I want to take this time to thank you for all your support for my Meet the Mentor podcast. Over the past year, we've been ranked in the top 100 in over 106 countries, and we're in the top two and a half percentile worldwide for all podcasts. And that's just not possible without you. So in the midst of the holiday season, I would like to just take a moment and thank all of you for listening. Please share this with your friends. Um, I hope you have an amazing end of your year and a bright path to a new year. Enjoy the holidays. The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman. Dr. Bill is a TV host, New York Times bestselling author, two-time Guinness World Book record holder, fitness guru, celebrity cosmetic dentist, and philanthropist who founded the Leap Foundation. Here's Dr. Bill. Hey, Dr. Bill here. Super duper excited to introduce you not just to a mentor, but a good friend of mine in my metal men's group. Um, But before we do that, Leap is going to be live for probably about four to 500 students this year and virtual two thousands. So if you want to sign up for LEAP, go to www.leapfoundation.com. We promise you an amazing program this year. Um, I know for sure we're going to have Usher. I know for sure we're going to have Richard Branson. I know for sure we're going to have Paula Abdul. I know for sure we're going to have a lot of other really awesome ones. So please, please, please sign up for LEAP while there's still time. And um, Before we start to meet the mentor, I do want to say that the men's metal group that I have been a part of for the last 10 years has been phenomenal. Um, I've met so many incredible guys. And if you are an adult over 18 and watching this, it's not really a networking group. It's a heartfelt group of men who share with each other and help to kind of promote each other in life, in business, in in everything. So if you want to get more information on metal, I think the website, Michael, is it? I think it's metal.international. That's right. It is exactly. And you can go and we meet typically every Saturday morning from 10 to 12 um, Pacific time, but there are several meetings throughout the week. And if you're interested in crypto or music or whatever, um, there are special meetings dedicated to that. So please check it out. Um, Without further ado, let me introduce you to my friend, Dr. Michael Bruce, typically known as the sleep doctor. He is a double board certified clinical psychologist and clinical sleep specialist. He's one of only 168 psychologists in the world to have taken and passed the sleep medicine boards without going to medical school. Dr. Bruce is the author of three books and has just launched his fourth book on December 14th. We're going to talk about that's called Energize. He's an expert resource for most major publications, doing more than 300 interviews per year. Oprah, Dr. Oz, The Doctors, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, et cetera, et cetera. And he has been in private practice for 23 years and recently relocated to and was named the top sleep doctor in Los Angeles by Reader's Digest. Dr. Bruce, thank you for joining us. This is our second podcast. Um, 
we've already done one really about your career. And we're going to talk about your career a lot today as well. And then I want to finish on energizing. You can tell, you know, people what's in the book and what they're going to learn from it. But let's start off the bat. How'd you become a sleep doctor? So it's definitely an interesting story. Before I get to that, I did want to make a quick announcement that my son and I have been participants in LEAP for quite a while. It is an amazing, amazing program and foundation. If you have not attended, get off your butt and attend. If you can't do it uh, you know, in physical presence, do it in your virtual presence. Uh, my son got so much out of it and I get so much out of it as being a mentor. So number one, thank you, Dr. Bill, for all that you do for all of us. We really, really appreciate it. And for folks out there listening, if you haven't been to Leap, you're an idiot. Go to Leap. Trust me on this one. You're going to learn more about your life than you've ever met, ever possibly imagined. So how did I become a sleep doctor is the question on the table. Um, and it was not a very straightforward route, um, unfortunately for me. Um, for folks out there who are interested in sleep medicine, um, one of the best routes that you can take is probably going to medical school, and then you can actually specialize in sleep medicine. There's actually internships available to do something like that. So you go through four years of medical school, then you would specialize in something like pulmonary medicine or ENT medicine, and then you subspecialize into sleep medicine, which has an additional board exam that you have to take. Um, that's the normal route that people take. Usually it's a pulmonologist, a neurologist, or a cardiologist that has a tendency to then get the extra credentials and become board certified in sleep. I did things a little differently. Um, as uh, Dr. Bill knows, I rarely go on the straight path. I like to go zigzagging around and find my way in. Um, and it also should be something that people to recognize that even if the front door might not be open for you, oftentimes there's a side door if you're creative uh, and really passionate about what you want to do. So here's what happened. I was, I was getting my PhD in clinical psychology at the University of Georgia, and I wanted to do this really specialized internship that looked at eating disorders in athletes. I, was, I wanted to be a sports psychologist, and I wanted to work with all the cool athletes and do all the fun, interesting stuff. Um, the best program, believe it or not, University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, and um, to be fair, only the Harvards and the Yales and the Princeton's people went to that one. I, I was in a top 20 program, University of Georgia, but I didn't go to Harvard and I didn't go to Yale. So they said, Michael, we're sorry, but you're not going to be able to come into our internship program. However, they had a sleep internship program and nobody had applied for that. It turns out that I had worked my way through graduate school in the electrophysiology department. So I'm the weirdo that likes to take apart EKG machines and EEG machines and put them back together and make them work. And those were the exact same machines that they used in the sleep lab. So I figured, well, I know how to sleep. How tough can this be? I'll sell myself as a sleep guy and then I'll just transfer as soon as I get there. Because just because you don't let me in your program doesn't mean I'm not going to be in your program. So I applied and I was accepted as uh, the sleep intern. And literally the day I got there, I raised my hand during orientation. I said, I wanna transfer to the sports psychology department thinking that I was uh, really a, a smarty right there. And they said, well, uh, Dr. Bruce, uh, we've got you down here for at least six months to do the sleep thing. You can transfer after that. So I said, okay, no problem. Dr. Bill, by the third day, I absolutely fell in love with clinical sleep medicine and I knew I was never going to change to sports psychology. And I'll tell you the reason why. I help people like this. It's unbelievable. 
When somebody has got apnea and they don't recognize it and we can get them onto a CPAP machine in under 24 hours and literally change their life, that's like the coolest freaking thing in medicine that there is. I can't tell you how much I enjoy that ability to help people so quickly. Um, and you know, the reasoning behind that is quite fascinating. But you know, in traditional psychology, it could take weeks, months, even years to see any treatment gains with depression, with anxiety, with many of these things. With sleep, when you change somebody's sleep, you change their life. And it happens literally overnight. And I just absolutely. It was just so much fun, you know, getting to do that. And also, to be honest with you, I'm great at uh, parties. So when people ask me what I do and I say I'm a sleep doctor, my wife rolls her eyes and goes and sits down because she knows what's about to happen. I'm just going to get pummeled with question after question. And you've been there. You've seen it happen. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I love it. But you've taken your career to a whole new level. I mean, you don't just do sleep medicine, you know. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you got involved with all the media stuff you do too, because aware, look, you can be the greatest dentist in the world, but if nobody knows you're a great dentist, you sit in your office alone, right? right? So when you have a talent and you can actually help people, a big part of it is, you know, how do you get the word out and get people to know what you do so you can help them? Absolutely. So I'm glad you recognize that. So one of the things that happened really early in my career, actually, while I was taking the boards, um, a friend of mine got a job at this company called Medscape that turned into a company called WebMD. I'm sure people out there have heard of WebMD. Well, he called me up and he said, hey, Michael, I just got a vice presidentship at WebMD and I'd love to give you a password so you can go check out the website. So I wandered around the website for a couple of hours and I sent him back a note and I said, hey, website looks great, but you're missing sleep in all of these areas. And I gave him a long list of each area of the website that could use more sleep content just to be a friend, just to kind of let him know type of thing, not to be weird about it, but just like, hey, this would be really valuable here. He took that note, he printed it out and he brought it to the president of the company, a guy named Jeff Arnold. And Jeff was like, go hire him. We need sleep on WebMD. So all of a sudden, I became the WebMD sleep expert. That was what actually opened the door for all of the media that I started to do at that point. Because at that point in time, if you were a journalist and you were looking for a medical doctor, you just went straight to WebMD and saw who, who's writing the articles, who's doing stuff for them. You contacted them and then you asked them questions for your journalistic pursuits or you put them on television. And so I started to get involved that way. The second thing that I did was I got media trained. So this is something that's really important to think through. Just because you're a good person and a good conversationalist and you can talk well in a party does not mean that you know how to talk on television or to a reporter or in these journalistic pursuits. And so I've done over 200 hours of media training through the 20 years that I've been doing this, but a, but a couple of really good tips for, to give people right out of the gates is always be a good date on your media appearance, which means don't ask for things that you don't deserve. Answer the questions that they ask you. Be polite. Thank them for the opportunity. Again, be a good date on these types of things. And they will ask you back because you're easy to work with. And the third thing is you got to be knowledgeable in your area. Know your stuff. If you know Where did your you stuff, do your media you know, training, Michael? 
So I actually hired a media, you can actually go online and you can hire a media trainer. Um, you just type in media training. When I was doing work with uh, Sanofi Synthal LeBeau, the makers of Ambien, which is a sleeping pill, they would have me go do lectures in the community. And I didn't have to lecture on the sleeping pill. I got to lecture on cognitive behavioral therapy, which is something that I'm trained in. And so as part of that, I requested, could I get additional media training? Absolutely. They were, and they paid for it, which was the best part. So I didn't even have to use the expenses. I got somebody else to do it for me, but there's lots of ways to media train and also watch people on television, look at the articles and how people are interviewed. You will be shocked at how many things you can pick up just from a YouTube video or things like that. You know what I think is as valuable as that? Watch yourself. Yes. hundred percent. Because you will be your best critic. I'll tell you something. You and I share this in common. When I first started practicing dentistry and I got a little bit of media exposure, I realized that I stunk on TV. You know, it was not, I mean, dental school teaches you how to drill teeth, not how to be on TV. So I hired Ramey Warren Black, who's the woman who trains all the kids on American Idol. She's amazing. And I worked hours and hours and hours with her and we did mock interviews. But I think the thing that was most helpful to me was she recorded them all. And then I would sit back and I would watch myself and I would see how I was kind of slouching in the chair, didn't have the energy or this or that. And I will, I will correct you on one thing. Please. Don't always answer the questions I ask you. (laughs) And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Let's say, you know, you have your new energized book. Right. And you're in there for an interview. Go into that interview knowing what you want that audience to walk away with. Absolutely. And if by chance they don't happen to ask you the right question, you don't need to answer it. For instance, if I'm doing an interview and, you know, sometimes I ask you really stupid questions. I'm not going to look at this, you know, well-known professional interviewer on TV and say, man, that was a stupid question. But take that as an opportunity to say, you know what? That's not that important, but I've got something <laughs> super exciting to tell you. I just launched the book December 14th called Energize. And I really want to share that with your audience because we're running out of time. So as you practice and as you do more and more media exposure, the thing that you learn that is so empowering is that you're in the driver's seat. 100%. As they're asking you questions, you really have the ability to drive the conversation because you're the guest. Yeah. You know, yeah, you don't want to tick them off. That's for sure. But, you know, you can get really good things in. So it's, it's kind of fun to do, but it's practice, practice, practice. And you're 100% right. When you start to get these opportunities, hire a great media trainer, yes. do mock interviews, and really look at that again, you know, tape them and look at that critically. And you'll see over and over. And I'll be honest with you. I'm not afraid of doing any interview anymore. I don't even get nervous. The only time I got super, super nervous was with 
Oprah and with Larry King Live. Why? Because Larry King Live is actually live and it goes worldwide. Right. You know, and the thing about Oprah and Larry King, they don't tell you what they're going to ask you. Right. Normally, when you come into an interview, they're going to say, okay, we're going to cover this. You know, they want to shock you, surprise you, and they want your, you know, undeterred immediate response. So that's a little bit scary. But I'll tell you something, as a health professional, if you really want to take your career to the next level, you've done it, you know, and I've done it. And it's really, really important to become media savvy. Um, I I also wanted to talk to you about writing books, you know, Um, when you write a fiction book, it's one thing when you write a (laughs) nonfiction medical kind of book, that's a whole different thing. And I think you have some really good tips on that. Absolutely. I've definitely got some insight. Also, one thing I want to double tap on that you mentioned is when you watch yourself on video, do it two different ways. One with the sound on and one with the sound completely off because you get a a whole new perspective on how engaging you are, because sometimes it's your words, but sometimes it's your movements that can be helpful as well. So I love taping myself and I'm so glad you brought that up, Bill, because I totally forgot that, but also listen to or watch your tape with your volume or, and without volume. It can be super, super interesting. Very good point. Books are a crazy, crazy universe. So if you want to work, there's lots of ways to publish a book. There's self-publishing and then there's working with a publisher. To be fair, the credibility really lies with working with a known publisher in most cases. Doesn't mean you can't self-publish and doesn't mean you shouldn't, but I have always worked with known publishers. So I work with groups like Penguin, Random House, Hachette, those types of publishing groups. And once again, there's nothing to say that you shouldn't self-publish, but there's a very specific route to take if you're working with a publisher. So that's what I'm going to describe. Yeah, but to be fair, you know, until you get to a certain stature in your career, you're not going to work with you. You know, like when I did my first book, I was already like America's dentist. I was on Extreme Makeover. And this, so I worked with a woman, Jan Miller, who works with celebrity authors in the self help world. Now, right. 10 years earlier, she wouldn't even talk to me, right? <laughs> so if you're a young student starting off, until you get a lot of credentials, you know, you're probably going to have to self publish. But once you get to a certain point in your career and you can actually, you know, get into a publishing company, that's way better. Yeah, absolutely. And to be clear, I was already an established sleep specialist when I wrote my first book. I had a platform. I was on WebMD. So it made a lot of sense. And to be also fair, that was what was attractive about me as a brand. People now, especially in the publishing world, they're interested in publishing brands more than people and stories, at least in the nonfiction world. But to double tap on on how that process works, and I completely agree with you, Dr. Bill, that lots of people start out. And by the way, many people start out self-publishing, then the publisher likes that book so much, they pick up that contract and then republish it for you and give you much greater distribution. So there's also that as an option as well. For nonfiction, you actually write what's called a nonfiction book proposal. Believe it or not, if you go on Amazon, there's a book that teaches you how to do this. Um, It has very specific sections in it. So you have to write down an outline, a sample chapter. You actually, it's a business plan for the book. So you talk about who is your competition? How are you going to market the book? There's a lot of specific sections in there. 
To be fair, um, I hired a nonfiction book writing proposal writer. So I, I, there are people, and that's all they do is they put out these, these proposals and they're really freaking good at it. So why not? So I hired them. It ran me about 3,500 bucks just to give people an, an understanding of cost. Um, and together we put together this proposal. The next thing you have to have is an agent. Um, getting a literary agent is not always the easiest thing in the world to do, as uh, we were talking about earlier, but your agent then takes this proposal and shops it to all the different publishing houses. So that's exactly what I did. Go ahead. So getting an agent is not easy. A lot of times <laughs> there's a great alternative that is easy. You can hire a lawyer. So especially like I, I this happens with young actors too. a lot of right. young actors can't get an agent until they get work. They can't get work without an agent. But if by chance they fall into something where they're actually offered a job, you just hire an entertainment attorney. And then you're scared like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm gonna have to pay thousands. Actually, most entertainment attorneys, if they want to work with you, will take 5% of your earnings on the project. So it doesn't end up costing you a lot out of pocket. So just know you do have you know, alternatives. Absolutely. And to be, to be clear, I use an entertainment attorney. That's exactly how it works. They work off of a percentage and I've used that throughout my entire career because it makes it much easier because I know every month exactly what my legal fees are going to be. And it helps me get there. Um, But getting an agent isn't always so easy unless you have a really good idea. You've got a popular platform um, or um, you do the legal thing, like what Dr. Bill was talking about. But you need somebody to shop your proposal to different to different publishing houses. And then oftentimes you get into what's called an auction. So I've been fortunate where I've had two publishing houses fight. We do a silent auction where they have to put in an amount for an advance and then they get time and then you just kind of keep stair stacking up. And hopefully, you know, you reach a level that's acceptable from an advance perspective and acceptable on the publishing side for payment perspective. Um, but that happens over the course of uh, usually a week or so. And then if you get a deal, you're off and running. And I worked with a ghostwriter for all four of my books. So I want to also mention what that is and how that works. I am 100% the author of my book. However, having a ghostwriter, look, I know a lot about sleep. I don't know how to write a book, right? That's what ghostwriters know how to do is they take all of that information that's in your head that you know and are really good at it. And they put it into a format that publishers like. I didn't know and understand that. And that was helpful for me. And a great ghostwriter will do it in your voice. Exactly. That's what you really need. So, you know, when I did my book, which became a New York Times bestseller, I did the same thing where I, I kind of wrote out the book. I had a ghostwriter make it better. And then I went back and just kind of corrected. So it sounded like me. Another thing I want to mention, too, is when you do write a book, you have to have a goal. You know, for instance, the goal of my book was not to make a lot of money. You typically don't make a lot of money when you write a book. What you do get is you get exposure, you get credibility, and the book, especially when you become a New York Times bestseller, gives you the credibility to go on different talk shows and different venues that you wouldn't have access to, you know? So 
you know, don't think, oh, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to make like billions of dollars on the book. No People way. Don't make a lot unless, you know, you write The Hobbit or, or, yeah. or something Stephen like that. Stephen King makes a lot of money on writing books. But and he didn't even write them all. I know, exactly. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more. I call my book my $15 business card. because Absolutely. Right. Because if somebody wants to know if I'm credible, what do I know about a topic? You want to read one of my four books that silences it immediately. If I want to get on television, send them a book. You're immediately an authentic expert. So this is the exposure vehicle. I couldn't agree with you more, Bill. And so many people misstep that thinking, oh, I'm going to make a ton of dough when I write my book. That's not what books do. It's not. Yeah. And in fact, when I wrote my book, I donated all of the proceeds of the book to the leap foundation so i didn't make a penny on my book it was all to send you know all of our students to leap so all of these points you gave me are awesome let's talk about your new book because i know we're really in a crunch for time uh tell me about energize so what we did with energize is it's a it's a movement from the third book, which was all about those things called chronotypes. So for folks who want to remember, your chronotype is if you're an early bird or a night owl, if you're in the middle or an insomniac, I came up with four different chronotypes. And what this book does is it takes chronotypes and includes body types. So remember endomorph, mesomorph, ectomorph that you probably learned in high school. We now have rules for beginning intermittent fasting, knowing how long to fast and when to fast based on your anatomy being your body type and your chronobiology. We know when to sleep based on your chronobiology. And we have a movement program in there to give people consistent movement throughout the day, which gives you consistent energy. Every single person who's listening to this podcast and watching us now could definitely use a little more energy at certain times throughout the day. And this book teaches you exactly how to find it. So I'm super excited about it. And I hope everybody gets a chance to read it. And if I want to get a copy, where do I get it? So you can get it at Amazon for sure. But if you go to energizemyself.com um, or myenergyquiz.com, you can get it there. And if students are interested in contacting you directly, what's the best way to do that? Absolutely. The best way to get a hold of me is through email. It's dr. Period, and then my last name, B as in boy, R-E-U-S, at the sleep doctor. Doctors all spelled out. Com. So it's Dr. Bruce at thesleepdoctor.com. I answer every email from a student every time. All right. Dr. Bruce, thank you so much. That was really great. And uh, I really appreciate all the support you've given me and Leap over the years. I look forward to seeing you at Leap next year. And your son is spectacular. And thank you for trusting me with him and sending him to our program. Thank you again. I, it really changed his life. And I want to be clear to people out there. This is a really worthwhile program. And Thank it's definitely you. something that people should to take a look at. But uh, do me a favor. Go buy the book. Love you guys. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank Dr. You. Bill, over and out. To learn more about the Leap Foundation, go to leapfoundation.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leapfoundation or on Instagram at leapfoundation. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.